So often many bring so much stuff into this place on any given day and the scripture says that where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom and yet many times when we come and we gather in a situation like this many people don't really feel free. We feel weighted down, we feel burdened down and so today we're beginning this new series that I'm calling The Door to Freedom. And in this series, we're going to talk about how to handle, how to overcome the different hurts in your life, the habits maybe that are messing up your life, and also the hang-ups that have caused pain in your life. And as we step through these doors, over the, it's going to be an eight-week series, our intent is to help us all in this ongoing work of being a better person. So, like, you know, who does not want to be a better person? Okay, all right, so that's, that's good, because um, we all do. And how much better our world would be if we all actually took some time to allow ourselves to be put together or to recover the right way. Now, uh, with scripture as our blueprint is where we're going to walk. We're going to be beginning to walk this road to recovery. Uh, A recent study just reported that 55% of of Canadians haven't engaged uh, the scriptures at all. And what they meant by that is that they haven't even cracked open a Bible. 55% of Canadians haven't even cracked open a Bible. Now think about this. The irony is if you're studying English literature in the university, that half the references for the majority of your texts refer to the Bible, and yet our universities don't even encourage people to read the Bible, but we will read certain types of literature. The students of highly uh, regarded Canadian literary critic Northam Fry found this to be true. And so as a junior instructor, Fry had difficulty getting his class to understand what was going on in John Milton's Paradise Lost because so many of the biblical allusions were lost on them. They had no idea about what he was talking about. And he said this, how do you expect people to teach Paradise, how do you expect to teach Paradise Lost to people who don't know the difference between a Philistine and a Pharisee? That's our culture. That's our world. That may be some of you even today. You've never cracked open a Bible in your life. You've heard about it. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you were even given one, but you've never cracked it open. I am convinced that the scriptures in Jesus are the key to living a full and transformed life. And so some of you are thinking, well, that's really interesting, this whole series that you're doing, but, you know, what do I need to recover from? Well, listen, allow me to cover just a few topics or issues uh, that you might relate to, such as maybe overworking. Do you relate to that? Or overeating. Maybe for some of you it's undereating. Or alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's overspending. Uh, uh, Grief. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's anger or rage. Maybe it's fear or anxiety. Maybe maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's uh, sexual addictions. Maybe it's codependency. Maybe it's uh, insecurity. Uh, perfectionism or hypochondria. I like that. That's my favorite. Uh, hurtful relationships. Does that sound familiar? Gambling. Lying. Procrastination. I'll, I'll, I, I might get to that one next week. We'll see. Um, maybe it's the need to be in control. Ah, it's beginning to sound familiar now, aren't we? Now, the reason I'm doing this series is a precursor to the launch of a new ministry. And I just had somebody pull me aside in the last gathering going, I can't believe what's going on with all this, all this stuff that's doing. You got starting point. You know, this, it's like this entry-level questioning who's Jesus thing starting. And we have this, this new ministry also called Recovery. He goes, oh, we're calling it Celebrate Recovery. 
And, and, and he's going like, you know, stuff is happening in this church. And yeah, it's happening because there's a need for it. And now, uh, you know, uh, so we want to start this new ministry, Celebrate Recovery. And I had a little help from my close friend, Rick Warren, because he and I are BFFs and in writing this whole life lesson series. And, and, and you, you see the Celebrate Recovery actually started in his church in California. And it's a, it's a Christ-based uh, approach to recovery and it was a response to the 12-step program such as Alcoholics Anonymous and now uh, Celebrate Recovery is more than just about drug or alcohol issues though although that's a part of it it's about it all so answer these questions think about these questions I'm going to throw at you do you believe or do you want to believe in God and yet you can't seem to you know, do you want to trust God with your whole life and yet you live in fear? If you're honest, do you know, you know you're not happy, right? Do you know you're not happy? Is serenity only an ideal or is it something that's seldom experienced? Do you find that your personal life is just in trouble? Are your relationships clouded by conflict and confusion? <laughs> Do you find that people in your life just don't understand you? Do others not love you as you feel you should be loved? Do you have resentments or anger or fear or loneliness? Do you have persistent feelings of you know, low self-worth or shame or guilt? Do you have reoccurring pain about relationships and living in general? You know, have you tried changing your behaviors but without success? Have you tried to change the behaviors of people around you? Have you ever called God in on a struggle to change those close to you or yourself without any apparent results? To those who you're trying to help not cooperate with you? Do you feel angry or hurt or do you ever find yourself asking, why do people resent me? Do you ever think that you know, they should just do what I say. You find yourself telling other people, you know, I'm only trying to help them. You ever realize that you haven't even fixed your own pain? Have you never told anybody of your secret pain? Does life not respond to the way you try to manipulate it? Are you realizing that you don't have the needed power? Are you lacking resources, spiritual resources, to overcome your pain? Do you have difficulty and ultimately do you want to change? See, these eight weeks may be just for you. Or they may be for a friend or a family member. I had one person say, well, is it going to be on podcast? Yeah, it's going to be on podcast. But podcast doesn't replace what's going to take place here. 
There's something about it. There's actually a spiritual connection. When people come together with open hearts and there's the invitation of the Holy Spirit to move amongst their lives and to be wide open and receiving of what God has to do in our lives. And so that's why I put the attention, not on just hearing the podcast, experiencing it completely. And that's why I want to challenge us to use nine easy words for the next few weeks. Go up to friends, go up to family members, go up to co-workers and simply ask, would you like to come to church with me? Don't assume that people are going to say no. When you're asking questions like that, it tells people that you're interested in their lives. There are people in your world who need to hear where we're going in these next few weeks. Bring them. Bring yourself. Don't be afraid. See, our foundational text is found in Isaiah 57, 18. It's basically the foundation of where we're going. And it's God speaking, and he says this, I have seen how they've acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them. I will comfort those who mourn. I offer peace to all near and far. And this is a great promise of God. And if you take some time and you look at that passage of scripture, we see that there are five areas that God wants to actually address in our lives. First, it says, listen, if you've been hurt, God says this. He says, I want to heal you. If you're confused, in that passage, he says, I want to lead you. If you ever felt helpless to change absolutely anything, he says, I want to help you change that. And if you've ever felt that nobody ever understands you or your problem, God says, I want to comfort you. And if you feel anxious and worried and afraid, God says, I want to offer peace to you. And so you see that in Isaiah, God is reaching out to humanity with some answers. And, and the fact is, life is tough, people. We live in an imperfect world. Fairness ended in the, the Garden of Eden, you know. Oh, that's not fair. You're right. Life's not fair. Fairness ended way back then. You know, we hurt. We're, we get hurt by other people, right? And we hurt ourselves. But we also hurt other people. The Bible simply says all have sinned. That means that none of us are perfect. Everybody in this room has blown it. We have all made mistakes. We hurt and we hurt others, right? I'm hearing crickets. Do we hurt others? Right. And sometimes we hurt others deliberately and sometimes we hurt others. We're, we're totally oblivious to it. But we've hurt people. The good news is that, you know, there's an answer. So this series is really for everybody. And everybody in this room needs recovery, unless you're per you know, live a perfect life. Nobody of you fessed up, well, so that's good. But if you haven't lived a perfect life, if you've ever been hurt, if you ever have a hang-up uh, habit that you'd like to get rid of, you need recovery. Well, what do you need to recover from? Well, the good news is, is that regardless of the problem you need recovery from, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, relational, spiritual, sexual, whatever, regardless of what you need recovery from, the steps to recovery are always the same. And so this, this door to freedom really is found in Scripture. You know, back in 1935, there's a couple of guys by the name of Bill Wilson and Dr. Robert Smith, and they founded uh, uh, an organization that basically was based on the Scriptures. And from those scriptures, they developed 12 classic steps that we call from Alcoholics Anonymous, 
which is used by hundreds of other recovery groups right now, and millions are in recovery groups every week, and there are at least a half a million different recovery groups in the United States. I don't know what Wikipedia says about Canada. I couldn't find it, because Wikipedia never lies. But the basis of these groups, if you actually think about it, actually goes right back to Scripture, although they use the term higher power. The basis of when this started comes right out of the Bible. So, you know, the first step in experiencing freedom, then, is to realize this. Listen to me very carefully. The first step into experiencing freedom is to realize, I am not God. To admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things and, and my life is unimaginable. How many, how many of you stay up late when you know you need to sleep? I've been doing really good though lately. See, the problem is I study and then I feel really convicted. So it's no more four o'clock mornings. I mean, it's it's getting uh, going to bed early at a manageable time. How many of you eat or drink more calories than your body needs? Yeah, you can laugh at me, but I'm pointing all my fingers out of this room. How many ever feel you ought to exercise, but you don't? I play hockey. I don't need to exercise. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> How many of you know the right thing to do but don't do it? See, we're all in the same boat. How many of you know something is wrong but you do it anyway? Have you ever known... Have you ever known you should be unselfish, but you turn selfish instead? How many of you have ever tried to control somebody or something and found it uncontrollable? And the fact of the matter is, if you've ever answered yes to any of those questions, welcome to the human race, and we're all in need of recovery. And the Bible has a word for this. The Bible calls that tendency, really, this this thing to do the wrong, it's called our sin nature. And our sin nature gets us in all kinds of problems and trouble. And we do things that aren't good for us. It, we want to move in that direction. We do them even when they're self-destructive. And even when we don't do things that are good for us. You know, there's, there's problems there. For, for example, I respond the wrong way when I'm hurt. And it, it just, when I respond the wrong way, it increases the hurt rather than lessening it. And then I react the wrong way to people, right? And then I treat them the wrong way. And then it backfires. And it just escalates. And when I know it's not going to work, well, what do we do? We try to fix the problems. And often when we try to fix those problems, they're worse than when they, were, they first started. And the Bible has a response to that. And Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads death. You know, we try to be God. We try to do it all ourselves, and we only make it worse. And, and the fact of the matter is, we'll always have this sin nature within us, this desire to do the wrong thing. We live in a fallen world. We're going to always have it with us till we get to heaven. And even after you become a Christian, you will still have desires that will pull you in, a, in the wrong way. And this is part of our spiritual life. And Paul understood this in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, but what I hate. 
And I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. It's a sin inside me that's stronger than I am, and it makes me do those evil things. And so he has this war that's going on within himself. And does this sound familiar to you? Of course. Where do, you know, how many of you struggle with road rage? Now we just got personal. You know, we end up doing what we don't want to do, and we end up not doing what we know we should do. And so the first thing we need to understand is the cause of the problem. Why does this happen in my life? And so this whole process of what we're going to be walking through is is we need to understand the cause of it, the consequences of the problem, then the cure. And too many times we jump from recognizing it and we want to get to the cure and we don't take the time to do the walk. And so, you know, you know, what's the cause of my problem? Because the cause of all your problems is this, that, you know, simply, and I said it earlier, we want to be God. That's the cause of the problem. And let's be honest, we don't want anybody telling you what's right or what's wrong. It's like if you've ever had kids or babysat little kids and you tell them what to do and they look at you and go, you're not the boss of me. That's where you love corporal punishment. You know, we, you want to call your own shots. You want to make your own rules. You all do. I do. You want to put yourself at the center of the universe. You, we, we want to be our own boss, to live in our own way. If it feels good, I want to do it. We don't want anybody telling us what to do with our life, do we? That's called playing God. What it says is, is that I want to control. And the more insecure you are, the more you're driven to control. Think about that. Some of you are going, ouch. The more insecure you are, the more driven you are to control. The more insecure you are, you want to control yourself. You want to control other people. You want to control your environment. And some of you, your anxiety is going through the roof right now. Because you're driven to do this. And that's called playing God. And this is man's oldest problem. Adam and Eve, they had it. God put them in paradise. They tried to control paradise. God said, you can't do anything. You know, you can do absolutely anything you want here in the garden except for one thing. Don't eat from this certain tree. And what did they do? They made a beeline for that tree. The only thing in paradise that God said that is off limits, Satan turns around and says, eat this fruit and you'll be God's. And that becomes a problem from the very start. I want to be God. I want to call the shots. I want to run my own life. I want to be in control. So how do we play God? Well, we deny our humanity in this whole process. And we're trying to control everything for selfish reasons. I want to be the center of my universe. Control is the real issue. I want to be in control. And when we try to control ourselves, we also try to control other people. And we try to control everything else around us. Have you ever thought of what it's like to play God? We, we try to control our image. Think about this. You want to control what other people think of you. 
You don't want other people to really know what you're like. And so what do we do? We play games, we wear masks, we pretend, we fake it. We want people to see certain sides of us and we hide other parts and we deny our weaknesses. We deny our feelings. You know, I'm not angry. No, no, I'm not upset. I'm not worried. I'm I'm not afraid. No, 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 no. We don't want people to see the real us. Because we're afraid of being rejected. You know, if we are afraid to tell you who we are, it's, you know, if I tell you who I really am and you don't like it, well, it's tough for me because this is all I got. This is what you get. And so what do we do? We try to actually hide and control our image. I love it when people come and confess to us. I don't know, as a pastor, people tend to do that. And they always come thinking that their story is the worst. And I'm at the point in my life now that nothing shocks me anymore. And once they get that off their chest, once they admit, then you have a place to work with people. But if you think about it, we try so hard to control our image. We try to control other people. Parents try to control kids. Kids try to control parents. Wives try to control husbands. Let's pray. (laughs) Oh, you laugh at that. Husbands try to control wives. Oh, there's no laughter there, is there, huh? Mm. People try to control other people. Ah, let's go to the office politics, right? Countries, watch the news, countries are trying to control other countries. We have lots of tools while to manipulate each other. We use guilt, right, to control. We use fear, we use praise. Some of you use the silent treatment to control. Anger, rage, we try to control people. Then we try to control our problems. And you know what, we're fairly good at this. We use phrases like, you know, I can handle it on my own. It's not a real problem. That's somebody trying to play God. I can handle it. Really, really, I'm okay. Really, really, I'm fine. Right. We control our problems. You know, I don't need any help. Uh, I certainly don't need counseling. Mm. Yeah, we try to control our problems. You know, I can quit any time. I can work it out on my own. And the more you try to fix your problem yourself, let me, the worse your problem gets. And then, as our role of God, we try to control our pain, don't we? So we're trying to control, we're seeing it's not working, so now the pain is increasing, and so I need to control my pain. Have you ever thought how much time you spend running from pain, trying to avoid it, or escape it, or reduce it, or defer it? And and, and we try to defer our our, our pain in many different ways. Sometimes we defer our pain by, by eating, right? Ice cream. I love ice cream. And I can sit there with a tub in front of the TV and just a spoon and not care about the rest of the family when I double dip all the time. But that's true, right? Or a great juicy burger. Or a steak. You're getting hungry right now, aren't you? Chips. 
You ever get to that point where you're eating and you're not full and you feel gross and you keep eating? Yeah. Some of us don't eat. You know what I'm talking about. Or we defer our pain by getting drunk or getting stoned. And uh, other habits have come in that become a, a deferring aspect. You know, maybe you're hooked on smoking or something like that, or you know, where you're hooked on drugs. Maybe your pas- pattern is getting in and out of relationships. Oh, you know, this next relationship's what I really, really need and to feel whole and significant. Yeah, yeah. You get in that relationship and it's. Oh, that, that, that wasn't it. Uh, I didn't sign up for that. And then you get out, and then you get in, and, you know, the grass is always greener, even though it's painted. It's always greener, right? And it's in and out one relationship after another. And one of the things that Sharon and I have noticed is, well, people who marriages break up, uh, for a lot of people, there's an interesting pattern we've put together. They break up for whatever reason. It doesn't really matter what the reason is, only to enter into a new relationship without ever really addressing the issues that caused the last one to fall apart. And we see the cycle repeating itself. Or you, you know, you kind of develop a compulsive habit to try to control your pain, and in our culture there's so many ways to do that. Or you become abusive, or you get angry with other people, or you get critical, you function in the gift of criticism, or judgmental. Why? To hide your own pain, make yourself feel better even though you can cast it on somebody else. Or you get depressed. You see, there are many ways, many, many different ways that we really try to control our own pain. And pain comes when we realize in our quiet moments we're not God and we can't control everything. And that becomes very scary for us. And the first step to recovery is understanding that you're not going to get well on your own. Face it. Don't deny it. And there are always consequences when we play God. And there are four basic problems that always happen when you and I try to play God. And the first one is fear. And when we try to control everything, we get afraid. Back in the garden, Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You know, we are afraid somebody's going to find out who we really are, that we're fakes, that we're phonies, that we really don't have it all together. This really happens in the church world, right? Because we come across thinking, oh, we have to be perfect. Instead of creating a culture of forgiveness... And I've said this before, I'll say it again, I didn't say it first gathering. I'm going to offend you, I'm going to hurt you. Right? Because this is really what I'm talking about. At some point in time, something may come out of my mouth or an action may happen. And it's going to be one of two things. It could be something deliberate, like a sin of commission. Or it could be something, you know, I didn't even know I said I did or whatever. It's called a sin of omission. And you've been hurt. And in the church world, what we have conditioned people is that when I'm hurt, I leave. As opposed to saying, when I'm hurt, let's sit down, let's talk, and let's work it out. Which is the biblical way. And I think that we need to revisit that whole pattern all over again. You know, we really, especially in the church world, you know, we we know we're not perfect and we put on this plastic and we become shiny, happy people. 
I don't want to let anybody close to me because they'll find out that I'm scared inside. And so we fake it and we pretend and we fill our lives. And really what we fill our lives with is with fear and we're afraid that somebody's going to reject us and not love us. Or they're not going to like us because they don't really know what I'm like. And they only like an image of me that I portray, not the real me. And if they really knew what I was like, they wouldn't like me. And so I sort of resent that and we're filled with fear. And then we try to play God. And when we deal with that frustration, the frustration, the frustrating thing is, you know, we're trying to be the general manager of the universe, and that's not really what we're called to do. Do you guys remember Chuck E. Cheese? You know, it was that real famous establishment that lasted so long there on Pemina Highway. Oh, we still saw it when we were down in the States, and, you know, people are still talking about it. But, yeah, you ever play whack-a-mole? You know, whack-a-mole, that, that, that game with that mallet that has these gophers, or these moles, but they look more like gophers, sticking up, and you're supposed to smack them down. It's a wonderfully violent game. And, and the moment, in a kid's place, like you're teaching, you're teaching kids to hammer an animal. That's, that's what it's going on. And the moment you hit one, another one pops up, and it's frustrating because every time you slam one down, another one pops up, and you slam one down, you're moving all over the place. Well, that's life. You whack down one compulsion and another one pops up and so you, you whack down that, that one problem and another one comes up and you, you whack down that one relational conflict and another one pops up and it's so frustrating because you can't get them all knocked down at the same time. Even if you had two mallets, it wouldn't work. And so in life, we sort of walk around pretending we're in God and you know, I'm powerful, I can handle it, I'm a man, I'm a woman. And uh, you know, we're so powerful, we just don't, un- if you're so powerful, Why don't you just unplug the machine? Because we can't. And Paul realized this and says it seems to be a fact of life when I want to do what is right and I inevitably do what is wrong and something else is deep within me that that war within my mind that wins the fight and makes me a slave to, to the sin. David understood it as well. He says, my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. You see, if you're frustrated, it's a symptom of a deeper problem that you haven't dealt with. It's the root issue. You're not God. And you're trying to control everything and it doesn't work. Have you ever noticed how exhausting it is to try to play God? Trying to control everything? Have you ever noticed how exhausting it is pretending you got it all together? Well, we call it denial. And denial takes a lot of energy. And in Psalm 32, David said, My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. Most people try to hide their pain and and run from the pain by keeping busy because we think, I don't like the way I feel when I slow down. I don't like the sounds that go through my mind when I lay my head back on the pillow. I don't like those feelings and those sounds, so I'm just going to keep right on keeping busy. And you run from pain, and you're constantly being uh, on the go. And for some of us, we're working ourselves to death. Or you get into some hobby and you're constantly doing that. Or it's some sport and you're Mr. Sports or Miss Sports Store. Or it's working out at the gym 24-7, right? And always looking on how great you work and you're trying to figure out what's going on. But you have some, something is driving you all the time. Or you can get involved in every religious activity. We knew people, every time the church was open, it was there. It's just like, go home. Why are you here? Because church activity can hide your pain. 
You're doing religious work all the time. You're hoping that you're going to be so tired that by the time you lay your head on the pillow, you're going to be so tired that you're going to go to sleep and you won't have to hear your pain. And so if you're in a constant state of fatigue, if you're always worn out, you need to ask yourself, what pain am I running from? What problems do I not want to face up to that motivates me and that drives me to work and work so much that I'm in a constant state of fatigue? Are you constantly tired? You need to do an introspective work. And by the way, when you try to play God, that's one job description that you're guaranteed to fail. Proverbs 28 says, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins, so confess them. Give them up, then God will show mercy to you. You need, we need to be honest and open about our weakness and our faults and our failures. You know, here at Soul Sanctuary, from the very beginning, we've been committed to becoming a safe place where you can bring non-believing friends and family members. You can bring believing friends and family members as well. We're not close to that, but this is, you know, how we open this up. And Really, what we're trying to do is create a safe place filled with real people who can talk about real problems, talk about real hurts, real hang-ups, real habits, and not be blown away by judgment, but that we're actually a family of fellow strugglers. And so here at Seoul, we acknowledge the fact that everybody's on a spiritual journey, but not everybody's at the same place in the path and and so we need to be patient with one another and we desire to sort of create this non-threatening environment that will help you know Jesus Christ and others in true community and it's work it's work on our part and, and yeah we fail and we're working at it and we're trying to redo it all the time and it will also help people to grow in the relationship with Christ and others and then eventually to go and serve Christ and others and there's many ways that we can do that last part and we'll talk about that towards the end of our series but you know there's not a person in this room this morning that has it all together we're all weak in different areas and we all need each other. And in fact, we need each other because we become mirrors to reveal each other's hurts and to help each other. And so many times others see things I don't see and vice versa. That's why I'm married to Sharon. She points out things I miss all the time. But we all identify with that. And so here at Seoul, we, we're trying to develop this, and I think we are, we're developing an atmosphere of what we call refuge. You know, ref, refuge is this amazing buzzword here. It's considered, you know, it's what we consider the starting point of the journey. It's this entry level stage, refuge, repair, rejuvenation, refuge, you come. This is, you know, the start. People who need refuge know that they can come here to Seoul and they can sit and hide if they need to. That's why we tell you, if you're new here, come six weeks in a row and sit and just take it all in. Refuge. But refuge is just the beginning. And since change or life transformation is assumed here at Soul Sanctuary, there's the next step that we call repair. And you see, you can't just sit in your stuff. You can't just say, oh, I'm here for refuge and sit in your stuff. You need to move out of it. You need to get help. You need to get cleaned up. And it's this process that we call repair. And so we see Soul Sanctuary as this faith community that helps people grow in their relationship with Christ and others. And repair is a huge issue of what it's all about. 
And for some here, there's, there's some pain or there's some baggage that needs to be dealt with. And at this stage, many people need to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to repair areas of brokenness that may be in our lives, but they just don't know how. So here at Seoul, we want to be a whole healthy people who have stared our junk, we've stared our wounds in the face, we have faced them, and we begin this process of making peace with who uh, who God is and who we are in spite of all that we have gone through. You know, however, many people have hid their pain, they haven't properly addressed the deep emotional spiritual wounds in their lives, and because they hide and they have not really experienced true healing and life transformation that Jesus offers, they're in this bad place, they're in a bad place. And so here at Soul, we envision a church of, of helping people know Jesus in life transformation relationships and others in true community. And so we envision these environments that we set up to help people come to know Christ, and that's with a starting point. And a great thing, if you got somebody who's asking about faith, you bring them to starting point. And it's a discussion. You're not going to get preached at. It's so sensitive to the eyes of the non-believer, but it's a starting point. It's an engaging point. It's up to you. People just don't show up in church anymore. Long gone are those days. People come to faith because if you're a believer, you've invited them to something. And that's our mandate. So you have things like starting point. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why we're also starting our our special meeting called Celebrate Recovery. As we speak currently, we're training a series of leaders who are facilitating, who will be facilitating these meetings. In that, those meetings, we have people with all different types of issues and problems and hurts that they have been dealing with. And the beauty of it is that they're working through these steps together. And some of those people will be leading here at Seoul. Some of them will be helping out at our North End campus, Living Word. And so we also have our life groups. Where hopefully that you can walk in and, you know, yeah, maybe you have a bunch of strangers. We got a quirky life group. You know, we got a bunch of quirks. That's what we have. And it's funny and you laugh. But they know that there are people that are praying. We have our own little secret Facebook group, you know. And I love every one of our life group people. You know what? We see a church that helps people grow in their relationships with Christ and with others. That's what we're called to do. And with our life groups and Celebrate Recovery and Starting Point, these are all environments to help people grow deeper in their understanding of God and each other. Some of our life groups are deep. Some, not so much. And that's okay. Clinton's going to be doing some teaching series very shortly. If you are looking for how to read your Bible for all it's worth, he's going to be doing something on that. It'll be a night dedicated here at Seoul to, to help you grow. You know, we see a network of small groups of these area fellowships where people are cared for. And again, where people can come, get educated, areas of spiritual maturity, leadership training and development. That's what we're all about. And to, to, to help you be more honest with yourself and with God. You know, I've asked people within our community to share their stories in this series. One of the things I I want and I'm waiting for is those baptisms. I know Clinton's got something working on in the back burner, but, you know, stories of real people experiencing real hurts 
who are in our church family and there's life transformation. So today I've asked our North End campus pastor, I think this is the greatest way to set this off, Paul Winter, who's right now doing a baptismal gathering. I got text sent to me. He's going to share his story. Watch the screens. At a young age, I didn't know how to deal with loss or pain or life or problems or any conflict. And at about the age of 15, I decided that uh, alcohol was a, a way to cope. By the age of 16, I was drinking three, four times a week. And by the age of 18, I was drinking every night. It was a way for me to escape from life and escape from problems and escape from whatever I was going through. And it, and it went from me being able to go have a drink to me having to have a drink. And by the time I was 20 or 21, it was completely out of control. And I was no longer able to decide when I was drinking, but I was drinking all the time. So at 26, when I walked in, to my job and found out that I was no longer needed, it wasn't a surprise. And when I came home and tried to tell my wife and she said, you know what, I don't wanna be married anymore, I understood because of the life that I had been leading and the mistakes that I was making through being addicted to alcohol. I had nothing to lean on, I had nothing to go to, I had no one to talk to and all weekend I wondered, how am I gonna keep living this life? And on the Monday I decided that I wouldn't and that I would end it all, and that this world would be better off without me. So on my way to do that, I was in my car, and I was driving, and I passed a man on the edge of town at a place called Deacon's Corner on the number one highway, and my hands were shaking, and I knew that I needed to pick this guy up because I knew he had something to tell me. So I turned around, and I went and got him, and I got him in my car, and once he was in my car, he could see, I guess, that I was under some kind of stress, he told me of a God who would still want me. He told me of a God who sacrificed everything for me and even though I had destroyed everything and broken everything, that God would still take me. And he told me about his son who died on a cross and sacrificed his life willingly for me. And I thought if God loves me that much, then I wanna know that God. I want a relationship with that God. And I asked him, how do I do that? And this man led me in a prayer in my car as I was driving. And I remember feeling peace and love for the first time. And I remember thinking, wow, I could have had this my whole life, but I chose to walk away from it. And I've asked many people that same question. Do you want to know that God? Do you want to know a God who loves you and cares for you and will do anything to help you? So that's my story. And I hope it helps you. You know, how do you react to stories like that? There's two ways not to react. The first you can say, you know, uh, my problem's not that bad. Well, that's called denial. You know, how bad does it have to get before you actually admit that you really need some help? How bad does that hurt, that relationship, that pain, that problem, that memory have to get before you admit that you need some help? 
See, unfortunately, it's human behavior, it's human nature, it's our sin nature that we never change until our pain becomes greater than the fear of change. You know, we don't necessarily change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat and, you know, when, when the marriage starts already falling apart or the kids start going off the wrong way or you get that phone call in the middle of the night, you know, that, that's where the problem is. Save yourself some pain. Start earlier on your recovery. One man said it this way, it happened to me when the acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. C.S. Lewis is known for saying God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain, and pain is God's megaphone. So let it motivate you to get help, to face the issue that maybe you've been ignoring for one, five, ten, twenty, maybe thirty years. So how's your pain level? You know, your pain level is a warning light to you, and you need to listen to it. You know, secondly, you can say, well, you know, that's fine, Jerry, but, I, you know, I can solve my problem. You know, this series on recovery is for somebody else. That's called denial as well. See, unless you've had that perfect life, there are some things that you probably need to deal with, too. You know, you can say, well, you know, I can, I can handle my problem. I can take care of it. Well, the fact is that if you could handle it, you would have, but you can't, so you won't. And if you could have handled the problem, that wouldn't be a problem. You, you wouldn't have a problem. You wouldn't have it today. The fact is, you have it today. So you can't handle it. You know, this denial is as old as Adam and Eve. And it, it's funny because it, I'll, you know who really is the worst denial? Our guys. Because we have it in our head that we have to be cool, calm, collective, have everything in control. And when our life, and, and we see this with, with some people, when marriages are falling apart and the wives are screaming for counseling, no, I don't need, we can handle it, I can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's as old as Adam and Eve, this whole issue of denial. They had a problem, they ran, what did they do? They hid behind a bush. God made them, God made the bush, think about it. And they're hiding, who? Cosmic hide and seek. They're hiding from God. You know, how silly is it? It's a great story. It makes me laugh every time I read it. But sometimes, you know, I talk to people. Have you told God about your hurt? Have you told God about your habit? Or, you know, your hang-up? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want him to know about it. You know, you can't get fixed till you fess up until you face your faults and admit the fact, look at we're powerless. And the next step to, through that door of freedom is really to admit that you're powerless. The Bible says that in admitting my weakness, I find strength. And it's not a popular idea in our self-sufficient culture which says, you know, do it yourself, don't depend on anybody else. But this is really the essential first step to getting your act together, to admit that you're powerless to do it on your own. And you need other people and you need God. And for us to admit that I'm not God means I recognize that there's three important facts of life and maturity comes when you actually recognize these facts of life. Number one, that you admit that I am powerless to change my past. Hear me very carefully, it hurts. I understand that. Maybe you still remember it, but all the resentment in the world isn't gonna change what has taken place in the past. You are powerless to change the past.
That's hard for some people to take because they like going back. Second thing we need to do is admit that I'm powerless to control other people. I try, you know, we like to manipulate them. You know, we like to use all different types of gimmicks, but it doesn't work. You alone, me alone, I am responsible for my actions, not theirs. I can't control other people. And finally, I I need to admit that I am powerless to cope with my harmful habits, my harmful behaviors or actions. You know, good intentions are, are just not enough. How many times have you tried to stop something? Maybe you are an alcoholic. Maybe you are uh, addicted to drugs. Maybe, maybe you, you're, you have some sexual addiction issues and you've tried and you've failed. Will, oh, I need to stop. I need, willpower is not enough. You need something more than willpower. You need a source of power beyond yourself, higher than that higher power. You need the presence of God. You need the Holy Spirit in your life to help you through this. You need God because he made you to need him. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power to change. Grace is the power God gives me to make the changes in my life that I want to make and and he wants me to make. The power to change. And for you to recover from hurts, from hang up, from the hassles in your life, you need God's grace. Well, how do you get it? There's only one way. He gives it to the humble. Some of you men need to become more humble. It's not a sign of weakness. You know what? The ladies love it when you're humble. And husbands and wives, if you're doing this, husbands, maybe you need to be more humble. Just saying. My wife gets on me because I'm always hard on guys. Yeah. You want me to talk about the ladies? Or should I let you do that one? Jeremy, if you and your team. So let me ask you this question. I want to do something a little different. We're in no rush. At the end of this gathering, we're, I'm going to give you the blessing and then we're going to actually tear down. If young adults are here and you're playing volleyball, we'd love to have you especially help tear down and get this place ready for uh, your uh, time this afternoon. But we have locked the doors so even if the kids' numbers have come out, you can't leave this place. I know it's the top of the hour, but... I I wanted time at the end of last gathering, but we ran a little late. I got a little time here. What needs changing in your life? What hurt, what hang up, what habit have you been struggling with or trying to ignore? And for many of you, this is actually going to be the hardest step this morning in this whole series. This will be the hardest step. And that's one of the reasons why I'm glad we're tackling this one first because when you get over this, when you get over this hump, and that's just to admit that I have a problem, I have a need, I have a hurt. You know, it's hard for many uh, of us to admit that because it's humbling. And here's the God thing. Oh, what are people going to say? Nobody cares. 
at least in my view. I couldn't care less. I was asked the question at this uh, conference we were at last week, what is it about you that keeps you going in ministry? You know, one guy said, well, I love to preach, I love to teach. You know, they're all sharing their own different things. And my response was seeing life transformation. And I don't care if it comes from me or if it's from somebody else in a life group, in a care group, in Celebrate Recovery, whatever, at the North End. I couldn't care less. But just seeing people's lives transform. That's what keeps me going. So yeah, I speak hard words. Sometimes I'm not politically correct. Sometimes I'm in your face. But sometimes I feel people need that push to get that response. Am I offensive? Yeah, deal with it. Do I hurt people unintentionally? Do I want to see life transformation? Without a doubt. So God has called me to share my heart to share things that I believe he's placed on my heart and to present it to you to give you guys opportunity to transform life and have life experienced in a wonderful way. I just can't live it for you. So the number one thing is to admit that you have a problem, that you have a need, that you have a hurt. It's basically just becoming humble enough and Recognizing that you're not God and that you don't have it all together as much as you'd like everybody to think that you do. And if you actually think about it, you go off and you share with somebody, they're not going to be surprised because they know that you don't have life altogether. God knows it. And the fact of the matter is, deep down we know we're just afraid to admit it. And so this whole process of what we're going through means being honest and facing a problem. Maybe that you've ignored or tried to ignore for a long, long time. And so I'm inviting you to join me in eight weeks of this, this doorway to freedom, this road to recovery, this, this issue of repair, rejuvenation. I ask our prayer team to go to the sides, please. Our band's going to sing a song that they finished off just a little while ago, inviting the Holy Spirit just to come a part of us. We're in no rush just yet. Here's what I'd like you to do if you want. I'm just going to ask you to stay seated. Ask you to listen to the words that's going on. If you want to sing along, you can sing along. Our prayer team is there for two reasons. Number one, if you're here, somebody brought you here, and you don't know who Jesus is, and you're going, I need to get, I need to sort of get on track. I hear what that guy's saying. I, I need to get on track. You can either talk to your friends that brought you, or you can get them to take you up to these people, and they're going to pray with you, and they're going to tell you about who Jesus is and bring you into this whole new relationship in the kingdom of Christ. The other option is you're sitting here, and your heart's doing this. Because you know what I'm sharing is actually speaking to you. That's really who the Holy Spirit is. And there's stuff that's going on and your, your film is going on in your head and you just go, God, I need prayer. And you're at that stage of admitting this, this humbling stage. You know what? We don't care what your problems are. I couldn't, couldn't care less. Well, I do care, but not that much. You know what I care about is that you're honest with God and that you can go to our team and they'll pray with you. And this becomes that first step in the road of recovery. <coughs> Thank you.
God, our, our desire is that this place is not only a place of refuge, but a place where you can meet us in our weaknesses. And so, God, I pray for those who are carrying around unspeakable pain as they are driven by forces that they just could even be, they can't even begin to name. I ask that this morning that they would be able to take one more step to freedom, into wholeness, into healing. And maybe it's deciding to go to counseling or opening their heart up to you as Lord and Savior. Maybe it's spending time with a friend or a family. Maybe we need to be, God, we we need to be the type of church that gives life to those around us. So God, move in this place, into our lives, into our hearts, and convict us and show us the things that we have not seen before. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister to our spirit this very moment. And where there's pain, give us your peace and mercy. Where there's self-doubting, give us a release of renewed confidence and your ability to work through us. And where there is tiredness or exhaustion, I ask that you'd give us understanding and patience and strength as we learn submission to your leading. And God, where there's spiritual stagnation, I ask you to renew us by revealing your nearness and drawing us into a greater intimacy with you. And where there's fear, reveal your love because with your love there is no fear. And release us to your courage. And where there is a sin maybe blocking us, God, reveal it, break its hold over our lives. Give us a greater vision than just for ourselves. Bring people in our lives who need to hear your message. Raise up leaders and friends to support and to encourage us. And God, give us each the discernment to recognize the demonic forces around us and reveal to us the power we have in you to defeat them. And so in ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing, and those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here's your blessing. Remember nine simple words. Will you come to church with me? May you, my friends, this week go out and help rebuild, restore, and renew not only yourself, but Winnipeg in very specific and tangible ways. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, be with you now and always. And may his peace be with you as you go. See you next week. Amen.